0: Welcome to Beyond the Needle, a physician's guide to increasing COVID-19 vaccination rates brought to you from the Illinois Academy of Family Physicians through the Illinois Vaccinates or IVAC grant. I am Carl Lambert, a family physician and a member of IAFP, and I'm an assistant professor of family medicine at Rush University Medical College. IVAC is a joint effort administered by the Illinois Chapter of American Academy of Pediatrics, the Extension for Community Health Outcomes Echo Chicago, and the IAFP. Funding for this podcast series is provided by the Office of Disease Control through the Illinois Department of Public Health. Through this podcast series, we will empower the primary care physician to feel confident in implementing COVID-19 vaccination so that their patients can receive the vaccine at a routine visit. Support for providers is available through boot camps, learning collaboratives, do-it-yourself toolkits, and this podcast series. CME credit is available for each podcast. For more information, visit IllinoisVaccinates.com under podcast. Thank you for joining us as we come together to vaccinate against COVID-19. greetings and welcome to IVAX podcast series. Thank you so much for joining us today for the episode on reducing disparities for COVID-19 and then preventive medicine's impact on COVID-19. My name is Dr. Carl Lambert. I'm a family physician an assistant professor of family medicine and director of our family medicine leadership program at Rush Medical College in Chicago, Illinois. I've been in practice for about 10 years and I am honored to also have two fellow esteemed colleagues with me for this discussion so I want to give them a moment to introduce themselves too We'll start with Dr. Christina Wells.
1: good afternoon everyone my name is Christina Wells and I'm a family medicine physician I work for an FQHC that is connected to the University of Illinois called Bioscore Health Center and I've been working there for almost 13 years. I am also an assistant professor of clinical family medicine, and I am a course director for the medical colloquia course at the University of Illinois College of Medicine. So I'm excited about the conversation we're going
2: to have today.
0: All right. Thanks so much for being here with us. And then I'm going to turn it over also to Dr. Marion Sassetti.
2: Hello. It's a real honor to be part of this group. I'm The old one in the group, I've been practicing medicine for 31 years now. I'm in a private independent practice just west of the city in Oak Park called Lake Street Family Physicians. I'm also an assistant professor at Brush and do some teaching in the family medicine department.
0: All right. Like I said, it is wonderful to have you both here for this conversation. Whoever's listening, I hope that you are inspired, you're educated, and that you, you hear a little bit about our real-life experiences and challenges and troubleshooting with what I would consider to be very hefty topics. We'll do our best to engage you and to, to treat these topics with care. So let me just start with, you know, really a, a, an unsettling statistic. So we're about two, two years plus into the COVID-19 pandemic. And uh, the first half of this discussion is really about disparities. And if you look at the data, there's certainly disparities there that alarmed me. Uh, If you look at, say, for example, uh, the proportion of, of deaths due to COVID 19 or severe hospitalizations for, say, Black and Hispanic populations in the US, although they are a lower proportion of the US population, they're accounting for five times the amount of deaths compared to our white counterparts in the US. So again, I think that does highlight the power that disparities can have. So as a a physician of color, and then, you know, as a family doctor that cares for patients of diverse backgrounds, that made me a little sorrowful. You know, made me think that, hey, those are my patients. Those are are patients that look like me that are really bearing the brunt of what COVID-19 can do. We're aware that there are different risk factors and different things that led those disparities to be. They didn't just happen on accident, but rather, as we're probably going to discuss There's systems at play that tends to harm populations that might be marginalized or historically aren't getting the things that that they need. And and certainly as primary care doctors, we care very deeply about that. So my first question really for my, my colleagues is, how do you feel about that data that I just shared with you?
1: Well, I think that data is startling. This has unveiled the disparities among communities of color that continue to exist. And that maybe have challenged us, but that we have not necessarily addressed. Um, When you think about being able to get COVID vaccines, especially in the beginning, there was a lot of misinformation out there. And I think because of lack of trust, there was a greater acceptance of misinformation. And when there is misinformation, it's also going to perpetuate the disparities that exist and so it is imperative that we think about how do we build trust and get a step closer to being able to reduce the disparities that exist because a lot of it may be due to things like misinformation and health
0: illiteracy. Yeah, I love that. There's a progression. There are steps that were taken decades ago that got us to this point. We're gonna to have to take some pretty bold and courageous intentional steps to, to undo the harm that's been done historically. So, I love everything that you said. Dr. Sassetti, uh, do you have anything to add to that?
2: I do. The way I think about it as a white physician is that this is a crisis and a crisis that we can't turn away from. We can't pretend we don't see these statistics. They're right in front of us. So we have this crisis of COVID, the illness itself. And then within that crisis is the unimaginable suffering of people who don't have access to care or suffer at greater levels. Again, as the older person here, I really want to encourage those of us who, who recognize that crises are opportunities, opportunities to get this right. This will be behind us at some point. And I think if this is the final thing that brings the medical community to understand that we have to, we cannot talk about our successes with a large percentage of our patients suffering so astonishingly more than our our white patients. We cannot consider ourselves successful until we have really wrapped our arms around this kind of phenomenon. And I just want to encourage all of us, I know we're tired. But for those of us who hold that vision, that this crisis is an opportunity to really dig in and get this right, I'm excited to be part of this panel. None of us have all the answers, but for us to begin to want to be curious about what is our participation in this and how we each bring our own gifts and talents to this population that needs more than they've been given.
0: Absolutely. Beautifully said. So you all raised some pretty important points that I want to hone in on a little bit. Uh, The first one is, you know, as far as how did we get here? Like, what are the factors that? Brought the curtain down, and you know, when I think about my own patients, I know that a lot of my patients they have chronic diseases such as hypertension, type two diabetes, asthma, things that we know that are risk factors for having those poor outcomes with COVID nineteen. But when I think about social determinants of health, or just different strategies, or things that got us to this point, yeah, you, know, you think upstream. I think of well, were these patients getting access to quality care, sense, culturally sensitive care? on-time care to make sure that those different conditions are treating adequately so they wouldn't end up being in the hospital. That's one factor that I think of, but are there any other factors that you all can think of that we need to discuss right now?
1: You know, I think when you speak about social determinants of health, you think about things like the built environment. One disturbing thing that I see is that when you go into communities of color, you don't have to go far to find things like liquor stores. Or corner convenience stores where people will get processed and unhealthy things and not have access to fresh fruits and vegetables and be able to eat nutritious foods. So, part of the issue with disparities is the way that environments have been designed and set up. And then, when you think about COVID 19 vaccines, thinking about Access. And again, going back to that misinformation, when my health literacy is poor or I just haven't been told or there's some mistrust, when something new comes out and I haven't built that trust, I may be more willing to accept information from family and friends or social media versus being able to talk with my doctor about this subject.
0: Absolutely. Where a patient works, lives, eats, learns, and plays, plays a huge part in terms of their health outcomes. And and most certainly we've seen that with COVID-19. And we have to be aware of that moving forward, because God forbid, this may not be the, the last pandemic that we see in our lifetime or even our trainees' lifetime. So they need to be prepared and understand the nuances of that. And then you also brought up trust, right? Some of trust is really being honest about where we are in the middle of the pandemic and saying, hey, here's what we know so far. And as we get more information, you know, it, it's, it's an iterative process. So as we get that, the better and better that we can keep you informed. But certainly being honest about that helps to facilitate trust, opens opportunities to engage in conversations to make sure that patients are understanding us. And it's not from a paternal standpoint, but it's really from like a shared making and a poise of, of respect and dignity for where that patient is coming from too. So I, I love all of that. Dr. Sassetti, I'm I'm turning it over to you now. Anything else?
2: Well, I really believe that one of the tools we have is our own curiosity. And how is it that this patient in front of me that has this whole entire life and ancestry and everything else is presenting to me? And I think way too often, just speaking for myself, I make assumptions. When I make assumptions, nobody wins. When I'm curious, I get data points and all kinds of information that I can gather. Early in my career, I learned right away, especially doing a well-child, says, who makes the decisions? Usually that's a matriarch in the family, and I better not contradict that matriarch because that young mom is not going to listen to me. So being curious about the people who are important. And Dr. Wells, you were talking about misinformation for us to say to ourselves, okay, clearly our message isn't working. So how can I be curious about what messages are and why are those messages working? And how can I be in solidarity with my patients instead of telling them the book smarts and the science behind things? How can I ally with them, be curious about what's happening in their lives, you know, 15 miles from my office? What are, what are the predictors of what they will listen to or not listen to? What is available to them? And two, Dr. Lambert encourages our medical students to begin that right away, uh, to really access those really important morsels of information about our patients' lives and make no assumptions. Uh, it's dangerous territory to make assumptions.
0: And with that misinformation piece, I think we need to talk more. It's so important. I have to share this quick, quick story. Near the beginning of the pandemic, my family, some of them see physicians, some of them don't. They had created a Facebook group, a family group, where they were spreading misinformation. Uh, Someone accidentally invited me to this group. And when I saw it, yeah, I said, oh, my goodness, I need to have a family meeting. I need to have a family meeting right away to discuss this because misinformation tends to travel quicker than the truth. And it's just really fascinating that if this is happening in my family, it's certainly happening in the minds of my my families that I'm seeing in the clinic, right? And even when I have those discussions, never do I insert shame. You know, there might be some credence to that because, you know, again, when we talk about disparities, we have to think about the historical context. For example, experimentation of, of marginalized groups where, as a medical community, we've lost some of that trust. And really, this phase that we're in with the COVID-19 pandemic, I think it's been an opportunity for us to step up and gain some of that trust back. And as you all mentioned, it's an opportunity to really say, hey, we really have your best interests at heart. Trust us. We're going to be transparent with you. We do not want to harm you. In fact, we we take an oath, right? You know, I think in the Hippocratic Oath, it says, you know, prevention is preferable, right? So I just wanted to just say that. Any other thoughts around the misinformation piece? Any other stories or narratives that you all wanted to share and how you've connected to your patients when that comes up?
1: Yeah, I wanted to share something because I I thought you made some powerful points, Uh, you know, and I think trust is a big issue and maybe thinking about how we approach trust in a different way and more so as a partnership versus I tell you this and you ought to do this. But, you know, what I found in my practice, I had a patient who actually got a vaccine and then got covid and asked me whether or not they should get the second vaccine. And I told them that they should. And I, and I explained why they should. They were able to listen to what I had to say because I was honest. I didn't make it seem like I knew everything. Where there were areas where I was lacking in information, I was completely honest about that to say, this is new for us. This is something that we're trying to understand, and we don't always have all the answers. But as we get them, we will share them. And because I was honest with her, because I shared my own experiences, then the patient was willing to go ahead and get the second shot. And so I think the relationships, the honesty, the humbleness... They're really trying to meet people where they are will really go a long way to building relationships. When a patient trusts that their provider, their primary, whoever's taking care of them has their best interests at heart, then they're going to be willing to take the advice and suggestions of that provider.
0: That's a that's a mic drop moment, I would say. That's a mic drop right there. So we will we will come back to that in a little bit about the power that a preventative or PCP has in terms of relationship and even positively um, influencing their patients. But uh, Dr. Sisetti, anything on your end you want to share with that?
2: I agree. I think what Dr. Lowe said is so beautiful. And I like the word humility. You know, I'm old enough that I get to enjoy the luxury of these very long-term relationships. And one young woman I've taken care of over 20 years now, I hadn't seen her for a while. And we called her to get her in for routine. And we started the conversation about COVID. And she said, just flat up, look, I don't want anybody telling me what I have to do. So I was able to use one of my favorite lines, which is, that makes sense. You know, you're a good advocate for your body. That makes really good sense. And then I'll often say, you know, look, some really horrible things have happened in medicine. We have to own that. And those were huge mistakes. And right now, I want to point out the good things that have happened. Can we talk about it? I think asking permission and being humble enough to hear a patient who says, no, you need to hear what I have to say. These are the same conversations I have with my smokers. I'll say, "Okay, I've heard you. I'm going to honor that. But can I bring it up again? Because I think this is one of the biggest health risks for you. Oh, and I'll say something like, you know, we've been a good team so far. You and I have made really good decisions. Your health has improved. You've done some wonderful things. I want to stay on that track. Is that something that we can do? And I think that ability to partner, be humble with, be on a journey instead of the I'm in charge and you have to do what I'm saying for me to listen and say, can I bring it up again? happily. I chose the story, of course, because the happy ending is, of course, she got the COVID vaccine after thinking about it. I don't think it had a whole lot to do with me, but I can guarantee you if I had said, yeah, I'm going to give it to you or take a hike, I'm guessing she wouldn't have kept coming. So I, I'm an advocate of humility, curiosity, partnering with, I like the term being in solidarity with our patients. You know, What's their experience? What's their fear? Acknowledging it and, and they have a right to it. Right. And if if I can add something to that, too, I think that's so great you said.
1: I think why this is important for reducing disparities for COVID-19 vaccines is because I think that over time, and you can tell me whether or not you guys agree, that we've done a better job of improving access. But although we've done a better job of improving access, there still may be some hesitancy in persons of color to still want to be able to get the vaccine. And in order to be able to reduce the disparities that we see in people of color getting vaccines versus other groups of people, then there needs to be some other issue that we need to address. Maybe the issue more is the lack of trust. The misinformation that's out there and delving into why that exists, we'll be able to get over that bridge, over that hump of why people of color are not getting vaccinated, even though there may be increased access to vaccines.
2: You know, I had read a story a while ago that, you know, if you ask a marginalized population to take a survey, there's an enormous return on that because there's very little opportunity to have a voice. And sometimes I'll capitalize on that and just say, you know, I really want to understand this. You know, you and I have agreed on so much. It's really important for me to understand that. Not only that, but lots of my patients are saying the same thing you are. So can you help me understand this? I want to understand how to deal with this. Sometimes I'll actually use the word ambassador. You know, I'd like you to be my ambassador out in the community. I have all this knowledge, but somehow people aren't coming and getting these vaccines. So help me understand this. Let's be a team at least on you teaching me this even if I can't convince them to get the COVID vaccine that day, empowering them that they know they have a voice and that this is so important, I want to learn about it. I don't want to dismiss it, I want to learn about it. Help me understand is one of my favorite lines. Help me understand your thinking around this really important topic because lots of people are thinking like you are.
0: This is this is brilliant. Like I said at the top, I'd probably be talking the least because these are some wonderful docs talking right now. So the only thing that I think I might add, what I'm hearing is, We have to think about interpersonal relationships and the power and the influence that we have to flex that. And then we also have to think upstream as far as systems that are at play. So one thing I wanted to just ask, and and we kind of talked about it, and I think I won't even put a disclaimer for our listeners. I think sometimes this is a topic that may be uncomfortable for even physicians or providers to talk about, but we have to name it, right? Oftentimes we have to name things or injustices. So one thing that came up as far as broader issues is biases. If you have a bias towards a certain people group, you may not try as hard. You know, If they say, no, I don't want to do that, you may say, yeah, okay, the conversation ends there. So that may be related to a bias that you have towards a certain people group, whether you know it or not. And we know that biases can kill. They can lend to disparities that we see. Similarly to how systems around patients and access to resources and different things for their own health can contribute to outcomes as well. So any thoughts as far as biases? Do we have biases? And again, any other thoughts towards that before we move forward to other questions that I may have for us?
1: I think we all have biases. And I think once we acknowledge that, that will get us a step closer to understand what those biases are. Overcoming and acknowledging those biases is important, but also just making an intentional effort to say, although I may have biases, I'm going to look at every patient the same. I'm going to treat this person as if this were my brother and my sister, my mother and my father. And I think if we could be more relational to people, that would help us. But I think we all have to understand that we have some sort of biases. You know, I know that we've had to do training on implicit and explicit biases. We've all probably dealt with that. And that can definitely help us to uncover biases that we never knew existed within us. And those may be some first steps, but understanding that no matter what, you may think every single person has some
2: sort of bias. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, I'm going to say, of course, we have biases. I think the most challenging biases is I don't have a bias. Hey, I'm not racist. Hey, I'm not classist. Hey, I'm not elitist. And please don't call me that because it's offensive. If we could get underneath that and just say, how did I come wired, hardwired and otherwise into this practice? What are my gifts? But what are my challenges? And is a challenge that I have getting in the way? And again, it's the curiosity is just one of my favorite words. So what I teach the medical students, if you hear yourself using the phrase, they, they like it, they don't do this, they do this be really careful and just wonder where that's coming from. Don't call it a bias, call it a challenge, an internal challenge that you have. So just being aware of the way we talk can help us come over it. Are we using they way too often? And then just, I'd say be gentle with ourselves and each other. We aren't gonna help the situation that we're put upon. Instead, we're chosen. I know that sounds very melodramatic, but those of us who took this oath, gave up so much of our time and training, I do believe this is our moment. We were chosen to take this head on. We could put our heads in the sand and move to our next crisis, or we can actually say this is our moment. We have the data in front of us. How do I contribute? How does my practice contribute? And what can I give that counteracts this? I just think it's a philosophic change internally for us. We don't have to fight. We can just be in solidarity with each other. And if we start to feel put upon, it's something else is bubbling up and it's not curiosity
0: you know, like I said, just brilliant. Everything you're saying is so brilliant. I I feel like I need to take notes as I am talking (laughs) and contributing to the discussion. So one thing that came to mind is, you know, the quote, you know, physician heal thyself, but from hearing you all speak, physician know yourself, right? We need to know our weaknesses. We need to know our blind spots. And, you know, again, having biases in and of themselves is not bad, but not being aware of them or how they play out in day-to-day interactions is. And and then I want to actually punt this over to Dr. Wells, because I think you had mentioned that When we talk about discussions like this, it may be easy to talk about race, right? Okay, you know, Black patients, white doctors. But do you think that this applies to different combinations other than race? Do you think that's something that our listeners need to be aware of too?
1: I think that when we think of biases, we always think that, you know, it's a Black-white issue. I think that that has some undertones to it, to be completely honest. But I think that because of a long-standing black-white issue, now we do have issues that exist that are intra-racial, if if that's the correct word, where it's you know people of the same color who may be dealing with biases that have sort of been implanted and carried on because of living in a environment where people are looked at differently. And so you may have where there is a physician of color and maybe still mistreating a person of color based on learned biases. And then there may be challenges that we experience, you know, looking at people based on their socioeconomic status even though we may be of the same race, we may look down at people who have different socioeconomic status. We look at people differently based on their sexual orientation, based on their religious affiliation. And so, like someone said earlier, that failure to recognize that we all have biases and how they have come into play. In order for me to have an Effective impact on this person, I need to be able to look to them as I would my family member, my mother, my father, my brother, my sister, and help me to be able to overcome the stereotypes that I may be carrying.
0: You're absolutely right. I love that you touched on internalized racism, right? We don't talk about that part enough. And I agree and I resonate with what you said. To the listeners, you might be thinking, oh my goodness, we're talking a lot about the disparities and the bad things, but. (laughs) Has the tide changed? I do want to ask fellow colleagues, you know, do you feel like the tide has changed? And if
2: so, how and how have you seen
0: that? You
2: know what, Carol, can I go back for just a second? Oh, sure, sure. There's been a line that I've been using that has been so helpful for me because I believe all marginalization is about power and control. Whatever Mm -hmm. you're talking about, domestic violence, distribution of goods in society. And what I've taught myself to say to my patients is, look, you're driving the ship. It's an acute line. I think it's fun. But it reminds me, the person in the room that's in control is not me. And if we can share that power just very, very consciously in each visit, I have to remind myself who's in power. Boy, would I love to have the power and control and run the world. But in that moment with that patient, when it gets really difficult, I pull up that line because it calms me down and it says, you know what? You're driving the ship. Okay, let's take it from there first. You know, you've got the power and you've got the control, at least in this team. I have found it calms me down a lot when I'm feeling like the patient isn't doing, quote, what I think they should. There's the they word. But it might be a technique that our listeners can use, too.
0: I love I'm so glad you interrupted. <laughs> that is such a thoughtful and needed contribution to the discussion. So I thank you for sharing that. And imagine if every single patient had that sort of experience with their PCP. What a difference that would make moving forward. That would be a wonderful thing. Yeah, I'd say, have you all seen the tides change? You know, with these interventions, with this thoughtful attitude as we interact with patients, with the mindfulness as far as greater systems that are at play, have you seen any any changes for the positive?
1: I, I don't know what the data shows. What I was reading was that about maybe 50% of African Americans have been vaccinated. And that's just at least one vaccine in the United States. And so we know that there are still a lot of people of color who have not gotten fully vaccinated. And so I think that we have started and maybe we're tiptoeing, but I think we've made some strides, but I think that we have quite a journey to go.
0: Sure. You know, I would agree with you. I can speak from just personal wins that I've had with patients that initially said, no, I'm not doing that. Or even I had an older black male patient say, Dr. Lambert, are you trying to Tuskegee me? So that was the initial conversation. But as we build relationship and he saw how much I cared, eventually he did. He did get vaccinated. My hope would be that, yeah, we're moving in the right direction, but there's so much more work to be done. And I think we're going to talk about that more as we seek into the power of preventative medicine's impact on COVID-19 and changing these numbers. So Dr. Sassetti, how about you?
2: You know, I don't have the statistics. I'm grateful that you do, Dr. Wells. I personally definitely have seen over these last two years and certainly well into the vaccine, so many of my families of color saying, okay, we're ready. Okay, we believe you. I have the luxury of a lot of well child care, so I can bring it up each time. And I think that positioning myself as somebody who really cares, again, because I'm old, I have these very long-term relationships. And at one point I said, do you really want to see me burst into tears? please get this COVID vaccine. And she started laughing and she said, not today. And I said, okay, but someday you're going to do that because you don't want to see your old doc burst into tears. And that kind of stuff that helps me again, where I'm just like, come on, it's the end of the day. And I thought by now you'd take the vaccine, but you don't. Of course, those families, many of them, I don't have my own statistics, but certainly many of them come back and say, you're right. I'm ready. I'm going to do it.
0: Wonderful. We are family physicians on the podcast, but I know we're speaking to a broader audience of pediatricians, internists, primary care providers who all likely understand how we play a part in terms of reducing disparities, right? So I think we're moving more towards like the granular piece, maybe even action steps and just things to consider as we move forward. Thank you to our expert faculty and to you, our listener, for tuning into this episode. If you have any comments, questions, or ideas for future topics, please contact us directly at podcast at ilvaccinates.com. For more episodes of Beyond the Needle, please visit illinoisvaccinates.com slash podcasts. You'll find links to resources, transcripts, speaker disclosures, a survey to gather your feedback, and instructions to claim CME credit. Subscribe to this podcast series on Healthcare Now Radio, Spotify, Apple, Google Play, or any of the major podcast platforms. Please follow the Illinois Vaccinate Project on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Thank you again. We hope you tune into our next episode.